Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Robin Williams. Yeah, man. Well, guys, welcome to Caffeinated Theology. Episode number three. Episode number three. We're, uh, we're, we're actually doing this thing. We are. I think this is like becoming official. Yeah, my name's Hayden. My name's David. And have you thought of a tagline yet? Oh, no, I didn't think of a tagline at all. David, this is your job. Okay, and Monday. Monday. Well, we won't be here Monday. Okay, next one. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a whole week to think about it. There we go. Yeah, um, in, in a broad term, this is a podcast where we're going through the, the story of the Bible from the beginning to the end, yep. um, and as we're reading through the Old Testament the first time, we are thinking, let's not be 21st century Americans, let's right. be ancient. Let's be ancient people. Let's be ancient Israelites, yeah. and let's think like they do. Because they think just like us, don't they? No, they think totally different, man. It was a whole different world back then. Uh, I mean, they're all about democracy and capitalism. <laughs> and... <laughs> clearly, yeah, clearly. <laughs> clearly the Bible was written for, you know, capitalist Americans. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, today we uh, we get to talk about the heavy subject of Genesis 3. How are you feeling about that? I'm excited. This is a great, great chapter. Awesome. Yeah. Well, get ready for uh, David's recap of everything so far. Let's do it. All right, so um, if you weren't listening to this, David gets three minutes to abbreviate a recap of everything that we've talked about so far. How are you feeling about that? Do you think you can do it? Yeah, so far, I feel like since we've only done two chapters, like it should be, I can do it in three minutes. Okay, so you are on the clock. All right, opening scene, God, a.k.a. Elohim, creates... The heavens and the earth, but there is a sense of non-order to it, and um, he forms something beautiful out of it. Forms the the mountains, the seas, the skies, the land, and then he fills it with life, plants, and animals. But then he creates humanity, and this whole creation process reflects uh, the building of, of temples in the ancient Near East. So he builds the temple, so to speak, of the earth, mm-hmm. and he places within it an idol, which is an image representing God, um, representing, you know, God's self, and that image is actual living, breathing humans, and the role of Adam is what the human was called, the first human. The role of Adam was to be a priest in the temple of the earth. Um, he places him in the garden, which was symbolic of the gardens that kings in the ancient Near East had, where it was this place that amidst the desert and dryness and barrenness, there was a place um, with curated life that was supposed to represent luxury and deity and holiness and sacredness. So Adam is the priest that is meant to mediate God's presence and uh, usher it into the rest of the world um, through justice, through just relationship with God. And chapter two ends with uh i think that's pretty much it woman was made woman was made right because we talked about visions was, and we talked about visions visions mortality you remember all that oh yeah 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 yeah. that um this idea that there was a tree of life in the garden and that my mind got blown because i had always had this notion that the story was saying that human humankind was created to be immortal just like by default that that was humanity's default uh, mode was immortal mode, but um, that may not actually be true. And the story might be saying that man is mortal, as is the rest of the earth, because apart from God, there is no life. Um, but that the tree of life in the midst of the garden symbolizes that man living in right relation to God and drawing off of the life of God can exist forever and, in a sense, be immortal, but it's only by drawing on the life of God, not um, being able to be immortal, separate from God. Awesome. Two minutes and 30 seconds. Yes! Nailed it! Awesome. Well, uh, next thing we're going to do is we're going to read Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. Good reading there. Thank you. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it for all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Man, uh, growing up, this was just like everything i think genesis 1 2 1 through 3 if you grew up in church you constantly were aware of this story yeah i feel like it was a common like kids story you know like one of the classic like children's bible stories story of adam and eve mhm so so what was your interpretation or understanding of not just genesis 3 but kind of everything together but before like you kind of made the switch to really studying deeper yeah i guess the kind of big picture that i took away from it for most of my life was just um you know god created a man created a woman um they were the first humans to live and he placed them in this paradise but he gave them a test Mm -hmm. and the test was that they weren't supposed to eat from this certain tree and um then there was the serpent who I guess was just kind of like it was assumed that he was the classic like devil figure you know Mm -hmm. and so the serpent um, tricks the woman into eating basically just kind of like makes her question whether or not she should really listen to God so she eats from the tree and then uh, because of that uh, that it's what growing up was called like the original sin Mm -hmm. and or the fall yeah or the fall the fall of man and basically because of this, God had to punish human, humanity mm-hmm. um, because they broke his rule, and then he kicked them out of the garden. Yeah, that's pretty. that lines up pretty well with what my understanding of it yeah. was as well. Um, I think that's a better start than nowhere, but I think it's so much deeper than mm-hmm. something that we gave it credit for. <clears throat> and so we're going to get into that, but first we've got to lay a lot of groundwork today. So there's going to be a lot of going back to the first chapter to really set up what's going on okay. in this third chapter. <clears throat> so um, I think the first question that we always ask is, what is the serpent creature? Yeah. And what, what do you think the typical Christian response is now? The devil. The devil or Satan. Yeah, Satan. 
And again, we're not saying that's wrong. We are coming at this from an ancient Israelite perspective. Right, so they don't have that picture already of a devil or hell or Satan. It's very underdeveloped at this yeah. point. Um, and again, we're going to get into this stuff when it gets into first century Christian theology and, and everything like that. But just be patient with us. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're trying to lay the groundwork and the foundation. <clears throat> and so this, this goes back to that book I read the other day um, and a little bit of study on different commentaries and and reading up on Near East um, beliefs and mythologies. And what we're going to have to talk about a lot today in order for this to make sense is non-order, order, and disorder. So three separate states of being. Sounds very interesting. What do you think about that? When you first uh, said that, I was at first my thought was, hmm, what's the difference between non-order and disorder? And that's still a question I have for you. Okay, we'll get to that. (laughs) Hold your horses, David. All right, hold them. All right, so if we go back to Genesis 1, we want to think about um, how Genesis 1 is the story of order and sacred space. Mm -hmm. So non-order was the canvas for which the creative acts of God brought about a semblance of order to the cosmos. and so non-order was represented with things like the sea and the darkness. And you think about like God's spirit and his breath, his ruach hovering over the dark, murky waters. And there was just nothing but darkness. There was no light at the time. And that, yeah. that is, that's an existence of non-order. And again, kind of bringing back this, this idea of creation being more of a function than materialistic. Right. Um, and so um, non-order was represented by the sea. Mm-hmm. Can you think about ancient Israelites? They were not sea people. Right, so that was like unknown, dangerous, deadly force that couldn't be controlled and could kill you. Yeah, and you think about it in a world where the only light you could have really was from fire, like darkness was non-order. You couldn't do anything yeah. in the dark. And then also the wilderness. The wilderness was a state of non-order. Right. Because there was no living civilization there. There's nothing but wild animals and wild vegetation and, and death. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, order is God's creative work to bring function to the non-ordered existence. Let there be light. And there was light and, and giving function and giving order to these non-ordered things. Yeah. Um, instead of just chaotic waters, there's land. Um, day and night are still brought in but even in this order there still exists non-order so even though there is light there's still dark Right. even though there is still land so there is also the sea mm-hmm. even though there is places of vegetation there is also mm-hmm. wilderness yeah so I just want to you look like you're thinking right yeah now. that's just interesting you know that um when God created the the order, there's still this element of like cycles and and the disorder or non-order still existing. Like the sun comes up, but then like the sun goes down, and there is nighttime where, mm-hmm. uh, especially for ancient people, like you couldn't do anything. It wasn't like the sun was up all the time, and you were in this constant state of okay, I can see what's going on. And uh, I'm not sure I understand, like, the full implications or, like, yeah. the meaning of that, but it's just interesting to know. Well, let's think about the mortality thing that we were talking about yesterday. Um, this Adam was made, it seems like he was made in the non-ordered section of the world if he was mortal. Yeah. Because I guess death is almost neutral here at this point. Yeah. Not necessarily, like, a evil thing. Yeah, the, the Israelites didn't have the same fear of death that we do mm-hmm. really, and their their whole view of the afterlife is, is we would consider that underdeveloped I guess. Yeah, it's different, more of just like a sleep or a, a rest than mm-hmm. like anything else. Yeah. Back. Yes, we are. Coffee shop shenanigans. <laughs> I like the coffee shop shenanigans. We're just, that's what we're going to call it every time we just have an abrupt ending to anything. I like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we were, we were talking about this concept of non-order and order yep. and the creation. 
Yeah. That non-order is represented by sea, darkness, wilderness, mm-hmm. and that death could potentially, we can't, I don't know if we can outright say it's proven, but I think we can imply that death could be part of non-order, especially mm-hmm. with this concept of the humans not being inherently immortal, mm-hmm. but only when they're connected to God and to the tree of life and yeah. what that symbolizes. <clears throat> And so what we see in God making humans in his image and his likeness and then also setting Adam and Eve in the garden is that the order that God brought focused on people in his image joining with him Mm -hmm. and the continuing process of bringing order and ordering the cosmos as sacred space with humans. And so we kind of talked about creation not being finished, like it's the start of a project. Mm -hmm. And I think that really gives us a visual to say, okay, there there is order, but there's also still non-order. Right, right. And our job as humans, once everything was set in place, was to start yeah. bringing order to the rest of the creation through wisdom mm-hmm. and connection and relationship with God. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like, we just had Zepha, you know, seven months ago. We mm-hmm. created her, mm-hmm. you know. We play, played a part in that creation. Um, but there's not an order to a baby, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, and it's not just done. Like, oh, cool, she's created. Awesome. Like, now we just get to, like, hands off and, like, just get to enjoy it. There's still, like, a whole process, a whole life of, like, just, like, hands-on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going through things, yeah. Yeah, and let's run with that for a second. So, like, non-order with a baby. Like, babies are not ordered. No. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, she came out. She was on a perfect sleep schedule. Uh, she had everything down to a T. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a really good analogy. I'm glad you thought of that. You know, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, so so let's skip ahead, actually, to Christian theology for just a second. Let's begin with the end in sight. The end in sight. How far into the end are we going? Uh, the second to last chapter of Revelation. So, like, way to the end. <laughs> so, we are going to Revelation 21. I bookmarked it, and I still can't get to it. <laughs> All right, so David, I want you to read Revelation 21.1. Awesome. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Hmm. Interesting how he threw that in there about the sea. Yeah, what do you think about that? Well, we were just saying, like, the sea symbolizes this element of um, chaos mm-hmm. or non-order. And I believe, now that I'm thinking about it, isn't the sea also, didn't they believe the sea was like where the dead were held? Well, they, they thought Sheol was like a watery grave. Okay. Yeah, because I'm thinking also in Revelation, he says that the sea gave up all the dead that were in it. Mm-hmm. So the sea kind of has this element of like death. Yeah. And it's, it's not part of like what they picture like life being. Yeah. All right now, 21.3. 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying... Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Mm. Right, um, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There, there, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for, for the old order of things has passed away. Mm. Old order. Yeah, so the old order involves death, mourning, crying, pain. So it must be talking about this natural order of things when, uh, so like going back to what we were just reading, Adam in the garden with God being a steward of the presence of God and ushering that into the world. There's an order that follows from that, which is life mm-hmm. and continued creation and like eating from the tree of life and sustained existence. But then once he is out of that role of priest, the natural order of things is death and pain and tears and all that kind of bad stuff mm-hmm. that goes along with that. Yeah. All right, last thing in Revelation, um, 22 through 25. I'll right. be on the next page. Right here? Mm-hmm. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, 
nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you saying the or? Yes, definitely. I was thinking about that when we were talking about uh, this idea that you know the the daytime represented like life and when people could do things, and the nighttime was just kind of like, well, can't do anything except like you know sleep and hope that hope hope for the best. Mm-hmm. But in this new earth and new heaven that John is having a vision of here, um, at, at like as the culmination of all things and order, the proper order being restored. Um, night is gone, and it's mm-hmm. just this continued existence in light. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool concept. So, um, I, I kind of chose to go through this because I want us to keep an end in sight, and that way it gives us some vocabulary and some terminology to view Genesis yeah. in this way. Because I, I think what we're going to find with this, for even when we get to the first century theology stuff, there's still so much of this ancient Israelite mm-hmm. context. Especially in like Paul and John's head because they were they were Jews for sure yeah um, and I, I think too that like ancient Israelites I, you know I, I think the people that were writing Genesis and, uh, just from the way that, that the Hebrews thought everything was very like circular you mm-hmm. know? so I think even though they didn't have this book of Revelation written with the vision I feel like the natural like kind of suspense as they read about the fall of oh, man oh night yeah it, and then it, it would just be like when is it going to be restored like, yeah. I think that they had this vision in mind I'll be interested to go through the prophets when we get there and see if any of this imagery is going to pop up oh yeah I'm sure it will yeah yeah because I know it does in John you think of like just that whole like light and darkness motif yep. throughout the, the book of John like I'm just now starting to put all that together of like every like you get the symbolism but now I'm seeing like the meat behind the yeah yeah the symbolism of it yeah and a lot of things to look forward to yeah so so um non-order non-order is kind of neutral okay I would say like order is good right God said it was good so he brought something that was non-ordered into order. Into order. That was good. Non-order is neutral. So it was just the primal substance of, like, the formless earth. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we have not been introduced to disorder yet. yet. So um, so we find in Re- Revelation it's the quelling any stamp of non-order, but that is not where we're at right now. But wouldn't that tr- be the, the, the serpent deceiving the woman into eating the fruit knowledge of good and evil wouldn't that be disorder um, yeah yeah you're getting there you're, you're catching my drift <laughs> awesome let's get into that okay. <laughs> so now we're gonna take this order and non-order concept and kind of weave it in with the Serpent and what Israelites would have thought, kind of um, piece it together from yeah. what other Near East um, cultures thought of as far as serpents and, and this kind of thing. So the elephant in the room that we need to address now is that uh, is the sake is the serpent Satan? Not yet. I mean, there's no mention of this term Satan in this story mm-hmm. and um, especially because that word today carries this whole connotation and pictures that were added on many years later yeah. I think it's very important or even very different from the first century Christian concept of Satan exactly yeah even when that word was used um, the idea we have today of like devil especially like devil in a fiery place with horns like mm-hmm. we, we totally got to strip that away when looking at the Genesis 3 uh, story with the serpent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because Satan and I knew I grew up thinking that it was like a proper name, but yeah. its use in the Old Testament is never talking about an individual like demonic entity. Like you could be a Satan yep. to me if you opposed or accused. Right. So me. like if uh, you were a, if I was like if I took you to court. Yeah, I took took you to court, and I was like, no, you are lying. You did do this thing. I would be the Satan accusing yeah. you of and opposing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, again, not saying that we won't end up with imagery as the of the snake as Satan at some point or the Satan at some point. But yeah. right now, ancient Israelite context, 
That's not what they're thinking. No. And all, all, all it says is a serpent. And I think we should just, like, when looking at Genesis 3, we should just say, okay, it's a serpent. We don't know. We don't, it's, it's clearly uh, some in- entity that is in opposition to what God is doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some element of, like, rebellion there but we don't know the backstory we don't know mm-hmm. anything and we're not supposed to I don't think and the ancient Israelites who was reading the story wouldn't have any backstory you don't think they would well I don't know maybe but not yet in Genesis like, okay as far as just looking at the book of Genesis okay we're I'm, in the in the story itself in the story itself but yeah. culturally maybe yeah culturally maybe especially because you figure this story was probably around before it was actually compiled but by, by the time that the Old Testament was compiled, there definitely was this idea of the Satan and the imagery of the serpent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's let's talk about snake imagery in the Near East. Um, so let's keep in view this mind of non-order. Um, so, and, and or, order. So think about Egypt. When you look at a pharaoh, have you ever noticed those funny hats that pharaohs yeah. wear? That was meant to look like a cobra. Oh, interesting. I see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were meant to look like a cobra. In Egypt, um, snakes were both associated with wisdom and death. They were creatures of the underworld and many other cultures. In other cultures, they were associated with non-order because where you found snakes was in the wilderness. Yeah. So if you were in the desert, snakes were these creatures that lived in the non-livable parts of the world. Yeah, and almost like thrived in those places. Yeah, thrived in the non-livable parts of the world. So they really associated snakes with the underworld and and death and like Sheol. That makes sense. I could see why they developed that thought. Mm. But yeah, but... This is one of the places where Walton said we can't use too much Near East mythology or um, thought to influence the Israelites because the Israelites really had their own thing because they had the contentious relationship with Egypt and Egypt really had a high view of serpents. Right, like there was pictures in Egypt of like serpents around like other godly beings, right? Like if you were, if you had a picture of like a godly being, it would not be a shock to have like just snakes in the picture too because they were like associated with, yeah. with that yeah and the the same word for snake uh, it's like nafesh or it's, let me go back and look real quick the the word for snake is nashesh 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 which is different than a seraph they're both words Hebrew words for snake but nashesh is also the kind of creature that leviathan was is that the word that is used for serpent in Genesis 3 mm-hmm. nashesh so it was the nash, nashash uh-huh. that deceived Eve. Yes. Okay. Um, so what do we know about the serpent in Genesis? I think our NIV translation said it was crafty. Yeah. Um, I've heard other things like shrewd or like... It's, those are both really unhelpful English translations, I think. And I think it's just because the, the word that it says, so the nashesh was arum. Oh, I've heard of that. So the Nashesh was a room, and... Isn't that more of... I feel like crafty and shrewd has this negative connotation, right? Of, like, being, like, a trickster. Yeah. And, I mean, clearly there's some element of that going on in the story, but the word itself, Arum, Arum? It's in Proverbs a lot. Okay, so it's, like, smart. Wisdom. Okay, yeah, so it's like he was intelligent. Yeah, so so here's how um, the Old Testament uses the word Arum. If somebody is a room, they conceal what they feel and what they know. That's from Proverbs twelve sixteen and twelve twenty three. They esteem knowledge and plan how to use it in achieving their objectives. Proverbs thirteen sixteen, fourteen eight, and Proverbs eighteen. Or Proverbs fourteen eighteen. They do not believe everything that they hear, which is Proverbs fourteen fifteen, and they know how to avoid trouble and punishment, which is Proverbs twenty two three and twenty seven twelve. In some, they are shrewd and calculating, willing to bend and torture the limits of acceptable behavior, but not cross the line into illegalities. They may be unpleasant and purposely misleading in speech, but they are not out-and-out liars. Got it. Okay. They know how to read people in situations and how to turn their readings to advantage. A keen wit and a rapier tongue are their tools. Yeah, and we totally see that in the serpent. He's not just 
coming out and saying a flat out lie. He's like, oh, actually, like, God's lying to you and this fruit is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. He's twisting the word and being like, well, did God really say that? Yeah, so he, he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree? Any tree in so, the he's, so he's not even saying, yeah, so he's already. He's already starting with a little bit of a twist on like, oh, God told you you couldn't eat from any tree. He's like, well, no, God didn't say that. So yeah, he's like being clever with the way, he's like not flat out lying, mm-hmm. just asking a question that's like confusing. And yeah, that, that's cool. That's interesting how a room is, you get, you get some more light on it in Proverbs. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, it's an inherently neutral term. Like yeah. that could be used for good or for or for bad. Um, here's what the creature is never called in the Genesis account. He's never called it evil. Um, so maybe we can imply that it is, but the text never says it. Yeah. All right. What do you think about that? Yeah, like I guess. Because they do use the word, or a word for evil, the truth and knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they introduce the serpent, they don't say he was evil, just that he was Arun. Mm. And so I feel like there's some importance to that. I don't know exactly, I don't know if I have like fully developed thoughts or like can articulate it, but I just know that there's something there. Like there's a reason why the author used the word Arum and didn't say that he was like evil or bad Mm. I just don't know so here is what some scholars including Walton are thinking now is that ancient Israelites would have seen this serpent creature as a chaos creature okay and chaos creatures were these um, ancient composite creatures that looked like animals who lived in the non-ordered realm Mm -hmm. so there being like another realm well, 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 think of realms of, like, Eden was a realm, right? Oh, gotcha. And then there's wilderness outside. That's a realm. Yeah. Okay. So they're creatures of the non-ordered realm. Um, they're immoral, not necessarily evil, but they could be mischievous or undomesticated. But yeah. you, you could domesticate them. Gotcha. Okay. So he's positing that the Israelites would have seen this creature as a non-ordered chaos creature. Yeah. Not necessarily so quick to label it as evil. Yeah. He was wild. Yeah, wild and like just following its nature. Yeah, okay, following its nature. Not like necessarily um, like, oh, it's it's just the way that he is Mm -hmm. by nature. It's a non-order being um, kind of like just going along with what is natural for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so what... um, what they're saying is the Israelites would have seen a great more in Genesis 3 than a simple tale about snakes and mankind. From their point of view, they would have been the ver- this would have been the very beginning of a cosmic battle, and that they were feeling the effects of it in their own personal experience and national history. Yeah. Because when they were reading this story, well, when the books were compiled... Exile. Yeah, so they were already in this state where they didn't they had lost like their own rights they were being kind of like held captive by a stronger nation they were being oppressed and they saw that as an effect of this story mm-hmm. yeah and saying the the serpent's insertion and doubt of his nuanced denial of the woman's understanding of the consequences stated by god because eve actually adds extra words to god she says but god did not God did, God did say, you must not eat from the, tr- from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. He didn't say anything about touching it. He never said anything about touching it. Yeah. Um, so the serpent's insertion of doubt and his nuanced denial of the woman's understanding of the consequences stated by God would not be interpreted any differently than in our traditional understanding. Deception, misdirection, and troublemaking are all within the purview of chaotic creatures. It is important to note the syn- syn- syntactical subtlety that is evident in the serpent's words. He says he does not say, you will not die. Instead, in Hebrew, the placement of the negation results in something more like, don't think that death is such an immediate threat. Right, and, it's, and it wasn't. Yeah. Because she doesn't just eat the fruit and die. Death comes for her. Like, she eventually dies, mm-hmm. but it's not immediate. So, like, certainly being like, you know how they say like you'll meet certain death where it's mm-hmm. like it happens right then yeah. 
I think like that's what he's yeah. saying. And it goes back to what God tells them in, in Genesis 2 in the Hebrew when he says, do not eat from the tree or you will certainly die. In the Hebrew, it more means like you're doomed to yeah. die. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so God told the truth. When they ate from the tree, they were doomed to die. The words God used did not suggest immediate death. And so the snake, the serpent is not technically... He's not lying. He's not lying yeah. here. Um, but the penalty was carried. Um, the woman was not as careful with her wording, and the serpent therefore told the truth when he picked up on the discrepancy and contradicted her, not God, by saying that death was not immediate threat. In this way, the serpent's deception came in exploiting a misrepresentation by the woman and telling her of a benefit to the eating of the fruit without likewise including the, the awful effects. Notice that the serpent does not suggest outright that Eve eat from the fruit or that she should disobey. Right, yeah. I guess the picture I always had in my head for some reason, even though I've read this story many times, was that... Almost like of the serpent giving her the fruit. Well, we we think of the paintings, right? And so the snake's in the tree, and he's got his like tail wrapped around the apple, and yeah. he's like handing it. So here's another question: So if he is a non-ordered chaos being, are they having this conversation in the garden, or or Adam and Eve out into the non-ordered See, realm? See, this is where I feel like I've been influenced by my culture and upbringing because like I'm picturing it happening at the tree. Uh huh. What do you think? Does it say they're at the tree? No, it doesn't say, does it? It so always, so this, this is... this is. So who knows? So, so we're dealing with questions here, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so like, were they in the garden? Did were, Eve leave the garden and meet the snake somewhere? Well, so like if they're priests in the garden, does that mean they have to be in the garden all the time? And if God's bringing order to non-ordered realms, would you would think they would be going out as well as being in the garden. Yeah, right? well, I never thought of it like that. That adds a lot more depth to the story yeah. for me. How so? Well, just I, I pictured it before as just like they were almost not in a bad way, but like confined to the garden, mm-hmm. and and then it does raise some questions in the story of like, well, why is this non-ordered being that is like rebellious in the garden if it's like the sacred space? So it's very intriguing to me to think that maybe Eve left the garden and obviously like you know these aren't details that we're supposed to like i don't know they're not like crucial to our yeah we, understanding we i think we can it. weigh the two against each other and think of the implications yeah. of both right? it, it just adds a lot more depth to the story to me to, to think like oh like there's some more stuff going on here like what was eve doing where did she talk to the serpent um these questions and i think that they were meant to be questions not necessarily like answers mm-hmm. yeah that's so interesting um, so the Israelite reader would understand that the result of the serpent's role was that evil took root among humanity. And we'll be back. <laughs> all right, so with all that in mind, I guess now is um, an opportune time to start talking about sin um, what do we view it as now and then kind of winding the clock back and looking at how the ancient Israelites would have looked at this yeah definitely definitely so what's been your journey alright so sin I mean this is something that we that was talked about and taught to me um, growing up in church you know this idea of sin and the the understanding I had of, of the concept growing up was more that sin was like the breaking of a law or like breaking of a rule. So a crime. Yeah, a crime that like deserved punishment. So like something that people do um, that offends God mm. and that requires um, a punishment because God is a judge. That's kind of like the understanding that I had growing up. That makes sense. Yeah, me too. Okay, right on. Yeah, has it has it developed at all since then? Yes, it has definitely. Um, it's moved the way that I understand the concept of, of sin more is not so much as like any action that um, one would do but more of um, the um, nature or the, the, the mode of being that is like separate from God mm. 
So um, when we are not in relation with the creator or the source, um, I believe that is like sin, which leads to how we were touching on like the the non-order or disorder stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are natural consequences that come from it that we're going to see right now as we talk about it <laughs> yeah. in the story. Uh, he's, not, he's firing on all cylinders right now. Exactly, okay. yeah. But so not so much as like, oh, you broke a rule, so here's punishments. But it's like you're not living in alignment with the life of God. And so mm-hmm. here is the consequences that are like naturally going to happen. Yeah, awesome. So let's let's kind of wind the clock back. Um, so we give these words like we talk about original sin. Nobody came up with that until Augustine in like the third century AD. Yeah, it's crazy. And and the fall was uh, second temple literature from the book of Second Esdras. Second tri- Esdras. Okay. Second Esdras or two Esdras attributed. Adam to the fall is the first time the concept of the words the fall were put together. Hmm. So until then, we haven't had that category. Gotcha. Okay. I know. We opened up the space a little bit. So we're back. Yes, we are. Um, so let's kind of wipe the slate clean of okay. everything that we've brought to the table here, and let's go back and look at maybe what the ancient Israelites would have viewed this story. What do they think sin was? Okay. How can it fit into what we believe now? Let's go there. Okay, so um, what we find here is that um, sin... What the ancient Israelites thought more about was what sin did rather than what sin was. Oh, interesting. Okay. I like that. I feel like in our modern society, especially the culture I'm from, it's always more of a question of like, but like, what is it? Yeah. Trying to like define the thing. I I love how the Hebrews could just appreciate like, well, these are the effects of what it is without having to nail down the, the, the definition of it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, if you kind of like read Genesis 3 as what this does, it resulted in a threat to the relationship with God. Um, and that threat to the relationship ended up in alienation and exile. Yeah. That word exile again. I know. It's going to be a huge theme throughout this yeah. whole uh, journey. So the Israelites who were in exile probably read this and we're thinking okay this this is why we're in this situation right because they identified with the exile presented in the story mm-hmm. and then we'll like when we actually get into the story of Israel we'll see how this story of Adam and Eve is the archetype for what happens after this yeah and so this was built into the idea surrounding sacred space in which holiness must be maintained Mm -hmm. which we see um in their culture with the temples and all that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so the biblical model sees sin as a disorder pervasive in a system okay so if we think back from genesis 1 and 2 authentic humanness is to realize our god likeness in the image while consistently acknowledging our creaturelessness, our creatureness, our, I guess that's, a, I can find a better word. No, I like that, though, creatureness. Our Just creatureness and our limitation. All right, wait, can you say that again? That was a really good sentence. Okay. So if we go back to the model of chapters one and two, authentic humanness is to realize our God-likeness in the image of Yahweh while consistently acknowledging our creatureness and our limitations. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Anything to no, add? No, I don't have anything to add to that. Just leave that as it is. That's good. And so sin is humanity's failing to reflect its divine calling. Yes. And humanity forgetting its limitations. Yes. That's, exa- that's perfect. Like what I was just talking about earlier when you asked me about my view of sin, that's like pretty much articulating what I was trying to say. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Awesome.
when Adam and Eve listened to the creature, um, what they did in, a, in essence was they made themselves the center and origin of wisdom and order in mm-hmm. the cosmos. Because Eve didn't think to like, well, let me ask Yahweh about this. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, I kind of think the truth, this, this looks good. Yeah, so let me do it. And like without that guidance. Yeah. And so you think like God is bringing order to the cosmos through the, the joint partnership with humans. But if those humans were to attach themselves as the center, mm-hmm. what we have is that disorder enters into the picture. Yeah makes sense it's like when you think about the solar system right like you got the sun and the planets revolving around the sun mm-hmm. if earth was like you know what i'm gonna be the center of the galaxy yeah. like i mean you we all we did yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like humans don't have that ability to to harness all the wisdom all the yeah. responsibility all the decision making mm-hmm. um and it's not so much that they um failed a test but they failed to reach a solution which was already in reach mm-hmm. yeah that's good um, and so what they took which was wisdom is more important than that that what they took which was wisdom what they took is more important than that they took something what they took is more important than the, okay yeah so the fact of what it was that they took mm-hmm more important because and because if it wasn't then it could be any trivial thing that would be like hey you, you it, it could have been like god like don't walk on the beach at right. four o'clock at sunday afternoon yeah and then it's like oh crap you walked on the beach at four o'clock on sunday afternoon you broke the rule mm-hmm. so it wasn't about the fact that it was just a rule but it was about the consequences the natural consequences of yeah. what they took well remember the other day we talked about like i don't think god put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden just trivially right it wasn't just a trivial test like, I think there was going to be a purpose for it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this doesn't really change anything about, like, our need for salvation, I don't think. I think it gives us a more robust understanding that um, to be reminded of what we're being saved for, which is a relationship with mm-hmm. God in the here and now, in the, in the immediate present, and not so much what we're being saved from. Right, and there's, like, a key... Like, you have to under, understand that f- fundamental difference. Hey, good, how are you doing? Good. I'll be back. All right. So with this, all, all of this in mind of sin being this disorder mm-hmm. brought into order and non-order. So it's almost you've got, like, you've got the good, you've got the neutral... And now you've got this anti-good. Anti-good, yeah. evilness yeah. That, that, that's brought into the story. And it's because humans decided autonomous, autonomously to be the center of order. And they're not capable of that, therefore disorder. The system breaks. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, I guess the question is, is the fall and original sin good terminology to use in this context? Bum, bum, bum. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely not the wor- wording that I would have used, like, if I was the one that got to make up the terms, you know? Yeah. Um, I can understand how whoever did, you probably know better than me, like, who actually made up the term of the fall. Uh, whoever wrote second to Esdras. Okay, yeah, so whoever wrote that. And I can understand why they used that term. Um, you know, it makes sense because they're probably thinking like humans had this maybe like elevated. I call it the jump. The jump? <laughs> like from. Falling is like accidental, right? Yeah. You, yeah. Falling implies like, oh, no. Like, you don't really <laughs> intentionally fall. And so you think jump is more like. Well, if I were to use a term now. Yeah. I really, I, I think, I think the disorder, breaking kind of this order is, is the better term to think of um, and, and we think about like what follows after this so the serpent God tells it that he's going to be on his belly mm-hmm. and then I, I guess the question I've always thought was like did serpents have legs before yeah I guess it would be, but it would just been like a snake right and then oh no 
it, was, it would have been something that had legs. That was the question I used to ask myself. Because was that is now you're gonna is this what the story's telling me? But they're finding a lot in in Near East, um, like especially like Egyptians and Babylonians. They had these spells that they would try to cast at serpents to yeah. be on their belly. Obviously, all these serpents didn't have legs. You think about a, a serpent though. If a serpent's on its belly, it's non-threatening. It's but it can like once it starts coiling up. Yeah, getting ready to jump. That's when it's dangerous. So yeah. God is commanding it on its belly, out of attack position. Interesting. Um, and to eat dust, and that makes you think of like wilderness and out into the wild. Like this is your habitat. You, know, mm-hmm. you will. Interesting. Be it makes dust. me think of when you're racing somebody and say, "Eat my dust." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we get this mysterious language of like. The offspring of the snake and the offspring of Eve are going to be in this interlocked battle. Mm-hmm. And that the descendant of the woman is going to crush its head. And then it's going to strike its heel. It's a beautiful image that carries through. Yeah, and when we come to Jesus, it's going to make a lot more sense. But right now, I think the Israelites would have been thinking more Israel versus this cosmic struggle of like yeah. what we're up against. For sure, for sure. Going back real quick to um, the question of like if the fall is the right term, I kind of was thinking now a term that I would use would be like the delusion. Delusion. It's a delusion where Eve and Adam like they thought probably authentically that they were capable of like making this choice for themselves of being the center of you know the cosmos and Mm -hmm. and of the order, Uh, when it's just not true. And I think that they were just deluded. And I think that delusion kind of carries on throughout humanity with this. We, we see it strongly in the world today. I think that there's this belief that uh, humans are the center force of the universe and that we can do great things and like rule the universe apart from the wisdom and spirit of God. But mm-hmm. I think that's just not true. Yeah. Because I, I think kind of the language I always had in my head of, of this concept of original sin, and like if you want to get Calvinists like this, like, what's the word that they use? Uh, Intuit. Totally depraved. Totally depraved. Yeah. You think of it in terms of genetics, right? Of like, oh, there's something like. Yeah, just fundamentally. Fundamentally DNA. wrong with me. Yeah. But I think now I'm kind of seeing it as. We're in a broken system, but we don't turn to the solution. We just perpetuate mm-hmm. the problem that was already there to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess that was one of the questions I was going to kind of end up with, but we'll just do it now. Okay. It's like, is this genetic or is this part of the disorder yeah. of the world that we live in? I kind of think of it more as like a virus. Like, I'm, So like, let's tr- try to think in terms maybe like of a computer for a second, right? Like if we're all kind of like we got brains and we got you know dna and stuff we're kind of like computers in a way okay and so when you think of a computer it can be like great hardware it can be built very very well and this analogy is of course going to break down at some point but just like bear with me for a (laughs) second that like a computer can have a virus and where it's going to like act really contrary to its nature to the way that it's like programmed Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a virus and a virus can be removed and so I kind of think of sin as like a virus, this like... Like a computer virus. Yeah. So like this like delusion that maybe like, maybe somehow genetically, I, I don't know, but I feel like all humans kind of have this virus, um, and, but it's like a delusion. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think where I'm landing right now is that the serpent of the non-ordered world introduced this order in concept, but the humans were the ones to take it and mm-hmm. run with it. And so it interfered with the ordered world and convinced humans to become the center of order. And with humans as the source of order, they weren't able to maintain it. So disorder came in, which was sin reigning. And this is extended to now because now we're going to finally land on why I really believe that Humans were not made inherently immortal, but being in the garden and attached to the tree of life is what gave them their immortality. Because if you go to 
the very last part of chapter three. So God casts them out of Eden. Mm-hmm. He makes them close. Um, oh, we didn't even talk about like the animosity between humans that came out of this. So even with the disorder, so this order of being mm-hmm. with God is technically turned into disorder of Eve was a good helper in the temple. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden she's the reason, or Adam is saying that she's the reason all this yeah, yeah. has so, gone wrong. And then like Eve a, goes. The relationship turns, like they turn against each other. They turn against each other, and then Eve points the finger at the serpent, and then we never get another response from the serpent yeah. after this, which is He's also gone. yeah, which is also really interesting. But we, we come to the end of chapter 3. And it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, back to that plural, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Yeah, so it, it's like he was saying, or it's like saying there, it wasn't implied that he would live, that they would live forever. Anyways, it would be by eating from the tree of life that they live forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I had a, just a thought just now that I haven't even thought of. Oh, this just in, breaking thoughts. And somebody smarter than me has probably already written this in a book somewhere, but this is just me, like, thinking of this as, like, is kicking the state of where humans were after eating from the knowledge of, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they get kicked out of the garden, mm-hmm. and unable to eat from the tree of life is that a mercy to so I'm starting to see now like these creatures dying off is going to be the only thing that's going to save this system now mm-hmm. yeah I think I think it is a mercy because I think I, I don't think it was like a punishment Yahweh's doing here of saying like oh man like now they, you know what they blew it they can't live forever but it's saying they can't live forever in this delusion mm-hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense What's up, homies? Hi. Okay, so I think we know not to record on Saturdays anymore. Yeah, it's pretty busy on Saturdays. <laughs> we had to do a lot of like start and stop. Yeah, so I'm sorry if this turns out a little like all over the place because I've had to feel like rush through some things to get through this. But so, David, let's take a moment. Okay. Let's sit and. I'm going to let you do your cow digestion of okay. what we talked about today. Um, you do that. We're going to talk briefly about what this means today. We're going to okay. come back into the 21st century, and then we'll sign out. Okay. Sounds good. So, we've talked about this story of how Adam and Eve went from living in the garden um, in this role of you know, priests to Yahweh, meant to kind of, I guess, spread the will of Yahweh into mm-hmm. the rest of the earth, but there was a serpent that deceived Eve, um, kind of like played with the words and made her think that, yeah, I should eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's a good idea, like the fruit looks good, it's going to give me wisdom. And then we find out that the consequence of Adam and Eve eating that um, is that they are now existing in this state of being separate from God because like shame is introduced. They feel funny about being naked, which they didn't before, and they're they kind of have turned against each other, um, and it introduces disorder into the creation. So I think when we step back and look at it from you know, a, a holistic view with the entire narrative of the Bible in mind, with Jesus and where we are now, um, we see that this is kind of the story that has played out at scale mm-hmm. in the whole world across history. Um, nations rise and nations fall, but there's always kind of this narrative of like humans thinking that we are the like end all be all, you know, yep. and that like we can control and rule the universe without the guidance of Yahweh, and that like is gonna go well, but mm-hmm. it, but it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I agree 
wholeheartedly with everything you just said. Yeah, so I think we still see all three of those elements in play today too. This non-order, non-order, and disorder. So I think I think they they talked about like non-order as being like the natural evils, one that you can't attribute to being anybody's fault. Mm-hmm. So you think like earthquakes and volcano eruptions and landslides and this sort of thing. That's non-order mm-hmm. in the world. Um, order. Um, so like, sorry, I have my somewhere else. Yeah, and so like we we have order. We we look at some of the good things that we as the human race can do, mm-hmm. and especially we watch the. We know when the church is doing something that brings order to the world. It's not always perfect, but we we know it when we see it, right? And yeah. we we see it when. Um, uh, uh, I lost my notes right here. It's okay. Yeah, you see it. You see it in small scale. You see it in big scale. Mm-hmm. But we really, really, really see the disorder in our world even now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the dominant powers of the world are in a state of disorder. Yeah, just look at what's going on in our own country right now. Like, not even to point a finger at anybody in particular, just the powers. Yeah. <laughs> like, are it's it's complete disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so. I know we talk about being in the view of an ancient Israelite a lot, but I think David and I do want you to take away like there is hope in Jesus and all yeah. of this, and we are leading to Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we're going through these ancient Israelite thoughts, we want to understand the foundation that our faith was built upon. Yeah, and I think that like the message of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is here, and it's like. Oh, the kingdom brings order. Yeah, exactly. The kingdom is like the, oh, man. the rule of God. So it's like the order, right? Like the proper order of things. And Jesus is saying that... You just blew my mind. Whoa. <laughs> all right. Tit for tat. Yeah. So yeah. Tit for tit. Like, tit for tat. Oh, no. <laughs> That's an office reference. <laughs> we definitely need a lot of office references in this. We do. But yeah, so like God's kingdom brings this order and this mm-hmm. rule... First, oh. starting with you, the individual, right? It's like you experience this order in your life, and then the idea is that the you power spread of Christ it. in you can. Yeah, and that's like kind of the idea that we talked about of like how the temple is like a space where it's a pocket of God's space that you can come into. But Jesus came to bring the pocket of God's spaces to. And then after Pentecost, like all believers are, are the temple. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Man, so that's a primer for our. <laughs> I, I can't even talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> you just got this look of like glee on your face, like you're glowing right now. Just so excited. I'm so happy right now. This is awesome. It's uh, Saturday was worth it. Yes, well, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, like a primer for like the idea of like temples as we move into that and talking about like uh, what temples were to ancient Israelites and how we see that in the person of Jesus and then how in people that carry the spirit of Jesus in them yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool to to. To, to look at this foundation and to look at the structure in which everything that we believe now has been built upon. Yeah. Not that it's the whole picture, but it is the foundation mm-hmm. of, of what is to come. And to, to steal a line from the Bible Project, like yeah. we believe the Bible is a one continuous story that points to Jesus. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're on that journey right now. We so. are on that journey. Awesome. So... Um, we probably aren't going to do three episodes a week going forward. I wanted to kind of lay some groundwork just for myself and David when I had an off week. Yes, definitely. We're going to enjoy our families for Christmas, as mm-hmm. should y'all, so we're not going to be recording for a week. And then uh, probably one to two episodes a week, probably nothing more than probably nothing more than that. So. Yes. We just definitely, you know, at least want to uh, promise you that, and then maybe, who knows, we might end up one week where we just like for some reason are able to get five episodes out yeah that'll be a pleasant surprise but we'll see yeah i I can't keep up this pace i can promise yeah (laughs) yeah one one a week will probably be what will yeah at least like a good goal to have one a week yeah yeah awesome as always let us know what you think yeah Um, open your bible up read it again with new eyes see if it changes i don't know if change is even the right word if it enhances yeah change no it's like it's like when you look at a piece of art, I feel like it's, it's like, 
like change is the wrong word if you like are looking at it and you're like noticing different things. It's not like your view of it is like changing necessarily. It's like a mosaic. Yeah, you just get like. You can see the little pieces within the larger picture. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Merry Christmas to y'all. Yes, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. (laughs) Hayden signing out. All right, David signing out. See you next time. Thank you.